Are you ready to scale? Why not invest three minutes in our scalability index? It's quick, it's easy, and it's got specific guidance. Find it at evokinggenius.com slash scale. Hello again, and welcome to Genius at Scale. Today's guest is the CEO of Keeping Current Matters, Bill Harney. Bill, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself and your company. Sure thing, John. Thanks for having me on. First of all, it's been uh, it's been awesome, you know, spending this time with you and just getting recaught back up today. But um, my name is Bill Harney, as you mentioned. I run a company called Keeping Current Matters. We help real estate agents um, really understand what's going on in the real estate market and then give them the tools and the content that they need to be able to communicate that most effectively to buyers and sellers that have the biggest questions um, when they're going through the process of buying and selling a house. Should I sell right now? Should I buy right now? What's going on with interest rates? You know, you know how do we articulately answer some of these and then much more complicated versions of those questions, uh, given any different market dynamic and built a really fun, very fast growing business uh, around that concept. And I, I'm just proud to get to be the leader of the organization that does all the work. That's, that's fabulous. And you guys have been growing consistently uh, through the pandemic, through through all that's gone on in the last, I've known you for, gosh, I, I want to say a decade, but I, maybe it's not that long. It's probably close to that. Yeah, it's, it's close. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, I don't ever remember a time when you're not growing. Walk yeah. us through, yeah, walk us through that because, especially given the last eight to 10 years, really the pandemic as well, market dynamics and in your business, interest rates all of a sudden went from free money to expensive money. And that, yeah, how do you grow through every market regardless? Yeah, I, I think it's a great question. I get the question a lot. Um, I think the biggest thing is recognizing uh, that there's probably two parts of this. One is adaptability being built into the DNA of the organization, recognizing that while we stay focused as well as anybody else, um, being able to adapt and adjust as market dynamics start to shift has been a huge uh, strategic strength for us. Um, being able to recognize when, hey, things are crazy right now, you know, prices, or excuse me, uh, interest rates going up right now, as you called out, just creates a lot of volatility and a lot of questions and a lot of people pushing pause, where it creates a lot of fear in the market. Uh, our job is to be able to help people truly understand what's going on. In these types of times when it's volatile, there's lots of questions, there's lots of confusion. Our primary job is to be the clarifiers of that, is to be the wise sage to be able to say like, all right, Here's where the confusion is. How do we bring more clarity to that? And then how do we teach the agents and the members that work with us um, to be able to do that most effectively? Uh, and how do we serve the industry in that way? Um, in more normal times, you know, maybe when it's not as crazy, we, we, we really help agents with their marketing. We, we help them have a great message that's always consistent, but we build tools and we, we build different content types that allow them to stay current on where do they need to be in the media? So we've got, we launched uh, about a year ago, we launched a big video product allowing agents to be able to do video much easier. Um, and that's been changed. I would say it's, it's, it's the un understanding of like, who are we given these different market dynamics? How do we show up, right? Allows us to say, sorry, this type of market, we do this and that allows us to go up. When the market shifts a little bit, it gets more confusing. We pull back a little bit on that messaging. Right, we really rally around what is our narrative, what is our what is our service to the industry, um, and how do we play on that? Knowing that, hey, if we are do we do a great job of informing and clarifying, we'll attract more people that way than in any other thing that we can do. Got it. So, if you're a toy seller, 
the end user is the kid, but you're actually speaking to and selling to the adult, the parents. Yeah, I think that's a really good analogy. Yeah. Yeah, where you're selling to the agent, but you're speaking to the market, the the, the homeowner or the prospective homeowner. Yeah. So when we're we're putting together like our vision statements, yeah, you know, we have a statement here that's been with KCM since you know, since I got here. Um, is we believe every family should feel confident when buying and selling a home. Right. That is very consistent. We're trying to figure out how do we help. I don't want to say consumer confidence because that's got a you know a, a, a meaning behind it. That's got a definition behind it in the world. But it's essentially it's a, it's a statistical and fed fed meaning. Yeah, it's a housing community confidence. I'm like, yeah, one day I'll want to start a stat you know for that, track that, and see if we can improve that to be able to measure our, our success in that effort. But um, yeah, I, I think it's a, it's well said. It's our job is to provide the consumers with the confidence. We know working with the best agents is the best way for us to be able to get there. That creates a really cool um, flow and partnership with agents across the United States in being able to, we're on the same team trying to, you know, trying to accomplish that. It does create challenges for a marketing team of like, who are we talking to? But a lot of our messaging is around how do we help the end user, the person actually buying and selling, the person transacting on that side of things. Uh, It creates a weird dynamic for a marketing team, which, you know, they have a blast with. Sure. Sure. So you're, in a way, your product, sorry, your product and the agents are distribution. I don't, I think that's probably fair, right? I would say it differently, right? When I'm talking to the members that we have in here, but I think- That's just the framework I, I use. I think the but... analogy holds for sure. Yeah, I think it's a perfect framework. Yes, I think, I think you're 100% right. Okay, got it. Um, so then how do you measure scale in an operation like that? Is it by user base or sub- is it a scri- subscription model or a, um, how, does, how does that work? Yeah, so it's a um, so from the uh, here. I'm going to answer that question two different ways, if that's okay, John. And, and it really comes down to a root, a root belief that I have about how to operate business. And it's there's two words. I'll set it up this way. There are two words that almost all of us will use completely interchangeably. But at KCM, we mean two very different things when we talk about that. The two words are business and company. So at KCM, when we're talking about business, this is user base, this is subscription service, this is you know profit, this is revenue, this is sales, this is anything operational, all the businessy jargon stuff, KPIs, all that kind of stuff. That's business. We all know the business side of it. When we talk about company, when we're building a company, when we're scaling a company, we're talking about what is today 53 human beings that are in our four walls of our, our office here in Richmond, Virginia. And what are all the nuanced differences between each of us? What's the weird that we get to bring in? What's the awesome that we bring to the table? And how do we build this team of different human beings to be able to accomplish this great, you know, tack and this great goal uh, of what we want to do. So I think of scale, honestly, in, in both of those arenas. On the business side of it, yes, it's a subscription service, it's a monthly membership. Um, so, you know, so we're looking to be able to drive new products, tiers. Uh, how do we serve at higher levels? How do we, you know, meet the needs of the top clients? How do we meet the needs of of, of agents uh, that are either new to work? right? Super young agent or new to real estate, maybe as a second career. And how do we help them get started? How do we serve all those needs? Um, You know, scale is definitely in that area. That's through both uh, just sheer volume and quantity, um, as well as in different pricing, uh, your pricing tiers offerings, that side of thing. I think scale on the the people side of it is honestly harder. Um, You know, and you and I years ago talked about this a lot, right? Because I spent a lot of time in this space. I think scaling the human component of this, I remember when we were 12 people, right? And communication, which is easy, right? You know, if there's 12 people, I could stand up in a room and everybody would hear like, hey, this is where we're going. This is why we're doing it. Here's what I need everybody to do. 
with 53 people, I can't do that anymore, right? Um, there are multiple layers. There's there's one team I think I have to go five layers to be able to hit like the the, the last person on the line. Um, you know, so obviously communication has evolved and scaled tremendously. And, and we go through these phases of having to learn and relearn how to do communication, project management, honestly, leadership, right? Um, as we go through the different phases of scale along the way. Um, and, and I probably spend more of my personal time thinking on that side of the house because um, I have a great, you know, I have a great president. I have a great leadership team that really focuses on how do we drive the business side of things. But I think both are critically important. And uh, I think that's been one of the keys to our success is that we hyper-focus in both areas. No, that's great. That's great. So uh, on any, uh, you're not the original founder, you're, but this is a, was a, a, a family business. Yeah. And then you came in 15, 20 years ago? Uh, it'll be 14 years next week. Okay, 14 years ago. Um, yeah. how, did, how do you, um, there's the, the word we use with, with our clients is uh, there's an embryonic fluid from the founder. How do you keep the embryonic fluid that's great and then put your own stamp on it to help it scale better when you take over as the next generation? Because that's a difficult, it can be a very challenging thing. That's for sure. Uh, I have friends that did not do it well. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it's been perfect because it hasn't. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it's been the smoothest sailing. No, if my dad was here right now, he would be the first person to tell you. It's just like, no, we've had some knockdown drag out fights. Um, you know, as part of that process, but it's, it's going through those debates, um, that will allow us to, uh, really get to the best decision to really understand. Right. So I think, I think that from a transition standpoint where I want to give dad, you know, all the credit in the world is, you know, I came in and, you know, shared, I have a larger vision for the organization. I'd like you to take me over. That was the short version of the story of how I took over as CEO back in 2014. 14. Um, and, you know, to his credit, he quickly made the decision, your vision's bigger, where we need to go is going to be more your skill set than my skill set. I'm going to keep the piece that I've been great at, that embryonic fluid side of things. I'm going to keep that for as long as you need me to keep that until that just becomes part of the organization. Uh, but you need to go do your thing. And I'll give him all the credit in the world because I, I now know how complicated and how hard that had to have been for him. I didn't know it at the time. And he was, he was, I'll use the word generous enough to, to stay hands off. Even he must've cringed at sometimes and said, Oh yeah. I, yeah, I told you about the fights and debates, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and there were definitely pieces and, you know, has that caused stress in our relationship? Yeah. I think he and I would both, you know, say, but I think that it's allowed us to grow closer in certain areas um, and, uh, and be able to, to, to just be able to navigate that side of it. family business is tough. Anybody that tells you otherwise, just they're lying to you. Um, yeah. But I, I'll also say is, is recognizing, you know, he's got strengths that I just can't have, right? And, and so there are times that he'll come back in there and, and we are not shy to bring him back into the organization to be able to give a message about like, why was KCM founded? Why did he start this in the first place? What is our duty and what is our mission? Because I'm pretty good about talking about that side of things. My president, Dave, is amazing about talking about that, but there's nobody you know, like my dad. And I think that that's, that's one of the things that we've done well is not run away from him. Right. But I'd really honor, you know, what he can bring to the organization to be able to hear that. That's, that's made it better. So. And you've kind of optimized his role. He's doing exactly what he wants to do. He gets to do exactly what he wants to do every single day. And shouldn't we all hope for that? Right. And he, 
uh, maybe more importantly, and people hear this, is that he's not doing all the SHIT work that he doesn't that he used to have to do because he ran the place. He is equally excited about that side too. <laughs> yeah, people people hear optimization, they 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 say they they see the the unicorns and fairies, and you say, yeah, but you also stay away from all the broken glass you have to crawl over. You you lose all that. That's that's in a lot of ways way yeah. more important. Oh, that's funny. Yep. That's funny. So. So you've been the CEO since 2014, but you, you, you've been involved longer than that. This is obviously it's a journey. There's destinations and there's goalposts and there's KPIs and all those kind of metrics. Um, but in the end, it's a, it's a CEO's journey. I'm curious, is, has there been a, a big, bigger than average pothole or a brick wall or a Mack truck ran you over where you say, Oh, at the time, it looked that was the worst thing, but I'm actually grateful for it now because we couldn't have gotten here unless we went through that that mistake. Was there was there an episode like that? It's funny. I love the analogy of I love the analogy and the perspective you get there, John. Is just is there a truck that hit you? You know, but now looking back in the mirror, I'm sitting here just like no. Looking back, I'm like, no, I don't think we got hit by a truck. In the moment, they were trucks, absolutely, right? And I, I, so I love that perspective. I think, um, yeah, we definitely have. Um, I mean, you have some stuff you, you between dad and I going through that filters you know, through and that kind of stuff. We solved that. That felt like a truck at the time. It definitely wasn't. Um, I think probably the biggest one, and, 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 and my hat's off, not that you need any more platitudes on your own podcast here, John, but you helped me through this tremendously, was, um, you know, so we are... Uh, you know, KCM today is a 100% in office, you know, organization, our culture really is built around just the relationships that human beings have, right? That's really important to us, not for everybody, it is for us. Um, and um, you remember, I was, you know, we had our off, our team was based in New York, which is where I'm from. You were split. Yeah. And then my wife and I, um, you know, were down in Richmond, Virginia, and a lot of the business flowed through the two of us. Um, and we had two other employees that we had hired here in Richmond, and we were doing this dance between kind of semi-remote, semi-not, and it, it, yeah. there, it just, it stopped working, right? It worked for a period of time and it just got too hard. So um, we had to go through the difficult, but amazingly successful decision of you know, closing down our New York office, moving people from you know, Long Island, New York, which anybody that's from or knows anybody from Long Island, New York is a tough place to leave um, yes. and move them down to Richmond, Virginia, which is a very different place. Um, but we successfully were able to um, to do that, not without its own pains and not without some losses that unfortunately, um, you, know, you know, happened as part of that. But I can tell you that five and a half years later right now, you know, for, you know, for everybody impacted, I think that we are in a great spot. I know from a KCM standpoint, we could not have gotten to the place that we were right now, continuing to operate the way that, you know, we were. Um, and by bringing everybody under, like, under one roof, it allowed us to go from a good growth rate to some inflection point, you know, type of growth. Uh, and that's allowed us to be able to hire an amazing team and continue to grow. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious. Um, because Long Island and Richmond, the geography isn't that far, but certainly it's far enough that they're very separate. That's a world of difference. Yeah. But but I wonder how, uh, if you can quantify it or even consider it, was the the not working very well, the fact that I know tons of people from Long Island, the the mindset and the culture and the attitude in Long Island is markedly different than probably anywhere else in the world, but 
but also Richmond. I'm curious, might it have worked if it was Charlottesville, Virginia, and Richmond, and you say, oh, they're both in Southern Virginia. Uh, culturally, we're about the same, even though we're separated by 100 miles. It's a great question. I don't know that I'm smart enough to be able to know for sure on the, the just the culture side, because I've spanned both, right? I, I spent most right. of my life on Long Island. You I spent the last both. eight years here in Richmond. I know both. Yep. And honestly, Richmond is an area that has a ton of transplants from all over the country. It's a, it's a growing city. We're blessed in that, in that way. Um, you know, at KCM, again, we have over 50 people, but I think it's something like 25 or 30 of them are not originally from Richmond. So Richmond is becoming more of a, a hub for you have folks from different parts of the country. So it's kind of a, an interesting cultural dynamic. I think the bigger thing, I think where I would say that Charlottesville and Richmond wouldn't have worked either, is more about cultural values and the things that made us great and the distance becoming a challenge in that, right? You know, so first and foremost, I'll raise my hand. As the CEO of the organization, relationships are everything to me. My ability to be able to influence is not in speaking from stage. It's not in typing up a beautiful email. It's not in delivering like a one-to-many virtual conversation. It's not in handing out Benjamins. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's you know my my ability to be able to lead is very much in a one-on-one -on -one small group kind of conversation. Like and really you know, be able to do that. When I'm remote, I can't. I just, I'm fighting with one arm tied behind my back. Um, and it's just, you know, that, you know, for me and for other reasons, but that, that's one that was very personal for me, uh, for me to be at my best, you know, we needed to be together on that side of things. And I think that's allowed us, um, to be able to grow. And it's surprising even in this world, how many people, even in today's market and today's, uh, just culture, how many people still want the office environment, um, on that side of things. Um, uh, and it's allowed us to be able to recruit like crap on that. So. Yeah, I was, was going to say, if part of your uh, magic formula is the, the connectivity and the magic that happens by uh, being face-to-face, -face, yeah, I can imagine splitting between two offices. And you were you were the number yeah. one violator because you were the first two guys to leave. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Isn't that ironic? You go, oh, they ran away from home. It's like, they put <laughs> new what are they doing here? Yeah, that's funny. That's funny. Oh, yeah. So. Um, um, curious, is there a risk profile or risk, um, maybe profile is the best way to say it for a, a CEO in general. And then I'm also curious how you would assess, uh, maybe on a scale of one to 10, 10 being sure. Elon Musk and, and one <laughs> mattress, mattress in the freezer or, uh, what cash in the freezer or cash between the mattresses. Yeah. Your own risk profile. Is there is there an optimal for a CEO? I don't I, I don't think there's one way to do everything, right? Yeah, I said earlier, you know, for us being in person is everything for us. But I have a lot of friends that run companies that are fully virtual and it works for them, right? And it's just we're attracting very different people and that's okay. So I don't think there's any one way to be able to do that. I, I think that if you're gonna be a CEO and you're going to be a one on the scale of I'm in a penny pinch and I'm not gonna take any risks, I just don't you may be able to run a very small company. You're not going to be able to scale. There's, you just have to take risks. You have to bet it. You have to go without the, all the data. You have to say, my gut tells me this. I need to move in that direction. And I don't need to be right 100% of the time. I just need to be right more than I'm wrong. Um, so I think there has to be an element if you want to create impact, like true larger than life impact. Um, you want to run a mom and pop type of thing? You could probably be a little bit less risky on that, I think. I've never tried that. That's not my game. Um, 
So I think I, I think when you see the larger organizations, you see you know folks names that we all know. Um, I, I, you have to assume that they're you're way up on the risk scale. For me personally, I'm definitely not Elon, um, and I've I've gotten more risk tolerant as I've grown, as I've matured, as I've earned, and as I've just got reps and sets of what does it look like. I was probably closer to a five, maybe when I first took over. You know, fine with risk, but I was you know playing a little bit safe. In fact, my probably my biggest regret is not borrowing money to be able to invest in Facebook advertising ten years ago more. Um, but the uh, um, I, I think today I probably say I'm an eight. I think that's probably fair. Yeah, my wife would probably tell you nine. Sometimes she's a little bit more risk risk averse. Yeah, yeah. What have you seen, John? Well, it's it's uh, there's a couple things. Um, first of all, we don't allow seven. Because seven is, I want to be risk tolerant, but I, right. I'm really a five or six, but I want to sound like I'm in the cool kids club. <laughs> so I'm going to go with seven. You say, if you eliminate seven, six is very different than eight. And so we just say you can't have seven, but we do that with any survey because uh, like customer service, a seven is pretty good. Yeah. No. Was it a great restaurant and I should go there tomorrow or was it? Right. Or did it need some help? Yeah. It needs some help. Seven is pretty good. Like I don't have any complaints. You go, I don't want yeah. that. That doesn't help help anybody. So that's seven's like indifferent. Yeah, it's it's but polite. It's it's like don't don't ask me any more details. Yeah, yeah. The burger <laughs> was good. And you go, how hard is it to make a burger? Yeah, tell me what. Right. Tell me why I have to go there. Um, but the the uh, the eight is is interesting because it is risk certainly risk tolerant if not risk seeking. My guess is at eight you wouldn't have any any problem, it, it still may give you sweaty palms, but if you have to go all in on a decision that affects the next year, you can do that. At five, you'll struggle with that. You'll really struggle because you'll, you'll analyze, then you'll, you'll uh, if nothing else, you'll slow down. You'll say, I'm going to yeah. need 30 days, and you go, you haven't got 30 days. So it's, it's, it's the opportunity is this week or, yep. or not. Yeah, and an eight won't have any problem making that. So I think that's fair. Yeah, then I'll, I'll stick to my eight. Yeah, no, it's funny that um, statistically, uh, what we find is the most successful CEOs, not all the ones we work with, but uh, we're seeing it more and more, are less than five. And I've talked to them about it. And what they say is, my job is not, uh, I still, in a poker game, I still have to go all in. It's, it does give me sweaty palms. My real job where I can create value is to, uh, a lot of them will call it de-risk a situation. Sure. And make and just increase my odds. Yeah. Because a nine or a ten will make a decision today and say, let's go. And if they have another 10 days and they can take some of the risk out of it before they make the decision, might they make a different decision? And the I, I call them pragmatists. They're very pragmatic about it. They say, I've got 10 days. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna call my regional bank and see if I can up my line of credit because if we can do this deal, but we don't have additional credit for Facebook advertising, it's actually a horrible decision. But if I know I can get Facebook advertising, I can borrow another, uh, bump the line of credit by a million bucks, then it's a no brainer. Yeah. That's, yeah. I, I'm a, I would say I'm an 11. I don't, I don't see risk. <laughs> I only see opportunity and that's a horrible thing to, to be. I always have to have a second command that talks me out of it. But uh, a pragmatist, oftentimes makes better decisions because they don't feel compelled to, to move like an eight, nine or 10. Um, 
And a lot of it is a speed thing. And I would have never thought of that, but it just raises the percentages on their successful decisions. Yeah, I, I'd be curious if we could segment based on founder or entrepreneur, right? Like founder-led or entrepreneur. And I like, I, well, I'm not the founder of KCM. I'm the founder of the next phase of KCM, right? And that, that's kind of how, you know, I think about it. That's how we talk about here. Like, uh, you know, I didn't have the, I didn't have, I can't raise my hand on the, on the, the, the you know, how to struggle for payroll. We were at a point now that, that when I took over that that wasn't a struggle anymore. I don't have those scars, right? But I had plenty of the rest. Um, I'd be curious if that's founder or entrepreneur-led and then size and stage, right? Because there, there are aspects of the business right now where I've had a conversation with my leadership team. It's just like, I am a new idea, new idea, visionary, entrepreneurial founder. And there are times at KCM that I struggle because what we need right now is operational excellence. Right, we need, we need, execu we need execution. You go, execution, yeah. who cares? <laughs> yeah, but that's what's needed, right? So like, I'm, I'm yeah. curious, like you, there, there are days that KCM needs a CEO that is less risk tolerant is more, you know, how do we do this better? How do we do that? Like, I don't want to take this risk right now, not because risk bad, right? Because I'm going to focus in, you know, in this area. And that's a weird, it's a weird dynamic to go. Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually, it's very inexact. Um, what I find is that the pragmatists that in year three can actually be a four or a five, and that works for them. Mm -hmm. In year one, by default, uh, they have to be a nine or 10 because in year one, yeah. your first hire could sink the company, your first customer, if you take <laughs> on the wrong customer, any decision you make can sink the customer or, or sink the company. What I find is they are still the at their core the same. The difference is if you're an eight uh, in year one of founding a new company, your stress level is way less than the four who's in year one because the risk and the speed is the same. That's fair. You've got at least a dozen um, company-ending decisions that you have to do well <laughs> enough. You have to. You don't have to kill it, but you have to. You have to survive it. You have at least twelve of those in your first year. It's just way more stressful for somebody that's got a lower risk risk yeah. tolerance. And then you can grow into okay. Now we got our. We got enough product. We got some cash flow. We got our funding. You can be you can grow a little bit more into it that's been my experience and it's anecdotal more than it is scientific but uh um i noticed with my clients they're all over the map on stress and the ones who have a higher risk profile much less stress they're yeah because they they go whatever if we have to re if we have to pivot tomorrow okay that's our job for tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> that's great good for them good for them so um Curious, uh, what you personally optimize for, like on your daily or weekly or quarterly or or whatever, and do your teams optimize towards one company uh, objective, or do the teams in your organization optimize for different things? Um, great question. Uh, for me, yes, I do optimize around things, and again, my you know, where I see, I have a phenomenal president that runs the business. Um, you know, so I truly get to be a CEO in visionary culture leadership capacities. Um, you know, nine times out of ten, that's where I'm at. So, for me, I optimize around uh, how many days do I not open take my computer out of my bag. Um, so I have a phenomenal executive assistant, and she and I work on. Are there at least two days a week that my computer stays in my bag the entire day? So she's got everything, everything coming at me managed that we'll talk through. Um, and I really get to spend my my time with leaders and, and leadership teams. So I'm trying to optimize down, right? I'm trying to minimize 
Um, the number of times I'm on the computer, obviously, you know, webcasts like this, uh, you're different. If I can poke at that, and that's with sure. no interruption or uh, or you don't you don't turn um, sterno can fires into bonfires because you didn't open your thing. Think everything's running well and nobody's feeling left out because you didn't open your. Yeah, I uh, got it. Yep. Hundred okay. um, percent. So it's that, and I'll, I'll be on my phone. I'm not. I'm not saying that you know. I, I'm not. I'm completely oblivious to everything that's going on. But um, the, the number of times that I need my actual computer for something is really small, um, and I can just fire up messages, and that's the operating mode that I should be in. So I operate around the opera, optimize around that. Um, also optimize around how many conversations can I have in a day, right? That fuels me, that gives me energy. I'm in ESTP, I'm in Enneagram 3. I hit all of the things of just be around a lot of people and influence and teach and coach and mentor. Um, so that is what I love to do all day. So I'm just trying to figure out if there's a day that I'm in a meeting that I shouldn't be in, that drains my energy. Uh, if there's a day that I'm in a meeting and I get to talk about the things that are really important to KCM and really see like light bulbs go off, I know I'm making the impact that I'm supposed to make in my job. Um, so that's me. Um, I think the teams, this is fun because we're in a transition. I think that we, for a long time, were very focused on um, one large company or two large company priorities, you know, in any given time. Uh, I think growing quickly, adding a lot of new people to the team at various degrees of leadership uh, and having teams have to figure out like, all right, how do we kind of reform in this new world? We went from John, I'll tell you, we went from probably 25 to 55 people in the last two years. So it's been a lot, right? Half the people have less than two years experience at KCM. Um, so I think that we got into a space where we were all focused on our individual areas um, more so, right? Not 100%, but you know, yep. less than I think that, uh, or more than I think I would want to. And we are literally this week, last week, uh, getting together around how do we get back to we're one company working on one or two kind of large priorities. Day-to-day -day has to happen, yeah, but we're focused on how do we keep the most important thing the most important thing and moving in that direction. No, that's great. It's great. And so the, the teams do or don't optimize for different, even if the one thing, the most important thing for the company is... Uh... I would say we, we, we optimize for common shared goals. Okay. Right. And then each team obviously has their own, you know, certain things, right? So if, um, you know, you know, obviously one of our you know, goals is, is growth, both market share, revenue, profitability, like, like growth of all of those metrics in the business side of the house. Um, different teams will have different ways that they are contributing to that. Marketing will be, all right, how many people can we have to start a free trial, right? How many leads do we have coming in? Our member success organization will be very much focused on um, utilization, usage, value being driven, all at an effort to be able to reduce churn. Right. Um, so all focus in the same area, but how we do that kind of comes, you know, into our individual departments. No, I got it. That's great. So that's great. That's where we're at right now. And it'll be different a year from now. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's the, the, the benefit of being an eight pro, uh, risk tolerance is like, yeah. yeah, it'll be different and it'll still be fun. And at what point do you say, uh, if it, what, what has to happen for it to be so unfun that you say, uh, okay, it, we're at seven thousand people now. This feels like the federal it's government. Before then, I don't want to do it. <laughs> uh, I mean, are there are there any standards you would hit like um, non negotiables that you say if if it got to this, I don't want to sink the company. I think I'll, I would probably move out and go do something else. Is there, do you have any of those lists? Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. I think the. Um, I think the way that I think about that is that. 
you know, I, I'm, listen, I'm the owner, I'm the CEO, you know, I have the, the privilege of being able to kind of make decisions that, you know, optimize around what do I want to be working on? How can I deliver the most value? So um, a year ago, I did finance also. I wasn't very good at it, but that was my one of my responsibilities. So when I went out and hired a director of finance and accounting, who's unbelievable, right? He does it so much better than I ever did. And he's teaching me stuff that I've never, I've, I never knew. Shocker, right? Well, you know, um, you know, give, yourself, give yourself credit. You set the bar super low. That was that was very generous of you to say. Oh, I set the bar super low. I was good at math, so they gave it to me, right? <laughs> you could have brought in a high school intern to do it and said, yeah, you're following me. You're going to look good. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but the, so what I've been able to do is just the aspects of the business that um, are less exciting. Listen, I'd never enjoyed the accounting. I just knew that with the finance, accounting was always outsourced because I'm not doing accounting, but the finance side projections, profiles, those kind of things. Um, I never enjoyed doing that. It had to get done. All right. So I can hire you for that. Um, like I mentioned, I have an amazing president in the organization who runs the business side of it because the business side of it is not the area that I get to have the most fun. So like I said, I optimize or I minimize the number of times my computer's out. I optimize around how many conversations I have. I love doing that. Is there a day that we get so big that I don't, I don't know. 7,000? Yes, it's before 7,000. Yeah. Right? 100? I think I could do that at 100, right? Yeah, that's that's sure. double, and let's let's cross that bridge when we get there. And and 100, if, if from the vantage point today, would be like, oh, well, it would be even better, be more fun. 100 people I get to deal with instead of 50. And there's a point where you say, oh, 7,000 versus, oh, God, I have yes. no interest in doing that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. There's somewhere between today and 7,000 is the number, and I don't know where it is yet. Yeah, no, that's, I got it. I got it. Um, I think I know the answer to this, given your background, but uh, the audience doesn't. Easier to scale a product or a revenue stream or a, uh, an engine, or easier to scale through people? I think it is short-term easier to scale through products. Right. Through products, upgrades, you can roll another upgrade out. And if you have like, so we're, we're blessed to have a very large membership base, which means if we roll out a new product, I know X percent are going to buy it the next day. Right. Right. Which allows us to be able to massively grow short term very, very quickly. Yep. Um, I think it's, I think on the long term, the right people in the right seats leading in the right areas with the right motivations will be the long term scale. Because those are the people that are coming up with the ideas for the next products. Yeah, right. Those are the those are the people that are serving the customers that are that are that are talking to the clients to understand what they need and can have these aha moments. Right. I'm I'm almost out of aha moments. Right. I, I've everything that I know we've kind of already done. Right. So now the next wave of folks talking to our our members and really understanding what they need, um, you know, is is really important. So I think the long term scale is people. I'll also say the more rewarding side of things is a hundred percent people. I am more, you, if somebody asked me, what are your most proud moments of KCM? The top 10 are all people before we get into any really cool product innovation or something that we invented that didn't exist before or categories we created that you know nobody was in before. Now there's a lot of people trying to chase us. So um, those are easily lower on the list for me than you know a lot of really amazing things and stories that I've heard from folks on our team that wouldn't have been possible if they didn't work here. No, it's great, it's great. Um, uh, quick question, then then we'll, I've got two more questions, but a uh, quick question. Sure. You hire me and I don't work out in the role that I hired for. Do you redeploy me in another team and say, gee, that was our institutional mistake. We hired him for the wrong role. Or uh, are you just passing a mistake? And, and when you're talking about me, 
people do it all the time. They say, oh, you just, you just pass that guy from one to, you're just going to wreck another right. department. Uh, um, uh, the short answer, it depends. Okay. Right. And, and honestly, John, you gave me a, a quadrant matrix, you know, on, on one, both axes. You have to go character and culture, skill and will. Right. And it's just like you have to match. So if that person is high skill, high character, or high will, high culture, whichever ones we want to put into those boxes, right. if they're high in both of those areas, 100%. The job's just not right for them. Right. They're, but they're, they're a cultural add to our organization. They bring things that nobody else can bring to the organization. They're great to work with. They're just in the wrong role. Let's figure out what we can do here. Never want to lose good people, especially in this talent world. Never want to lose good people. Uh, and we've done that many times over. Almost yeah. exclusively successfully. I can probably think of maybe one that we probably screwed that one up. Um, if you're in high character, low skill, that's a training opportunity, right? Cool. We may not be able to move you right now, but we can develop you and give you opportunities to have experiences that might be able to parlay you into another another sure. part of the team. If you're at low character, it's real tough, right, to, to hang on. Yeah. Low character, low skill, it's just like we made a mistake in hiring or whatever the case is. Um, low character, high skill is probably still we made a mistake on that side of it, and maybe we should give them a good referral someplace else. But Th those are the ones that will wreck another another role. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, and those are the hardest ones to – those are the hardest decisions to make is low character, high skill because they deliver. They deliver results, yeah. but they, they, they make things a lot harder for everybody else. They, wreck, they wreck people, yeah. If there's anything I've learned over the last – through the pandemic, right? Uh, you know, and obviously, we're in person, so the pandemic was a tricky spot for us to navigate. You know? um, but business is a team sport. It's not about adding up the outputs of 55 individuals. It's the multiplication of the outputs and of the people that delivers what the team is responsible for. Business is a team sport. It's not about individual productivity. Right. Having, having, the, having the scoring scoring champion and being in last place. And you go, that's great. We have the leading score in the league and we're in last place. Yeah. Uh, that's not so helpful. Absolutely. This is Alex Rodriguez, right? I'm a Yankees fan. I had that pain. Alex Rodriguez, the best player, um, only won one championship and it wasn't really because of him. So, yeah. 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 So uh, we, we, we like to have fun with our guests. Um, if we went to your junior high, you know, so your seventh, eighth, ninth grade, you probably have braces <laughs> and, and you're, you know, just getting a very different haircut. Yeah. Bad haircut. And which you think is oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, you're starting to have pimples. <laughs> yeah. You can't dance. And it's, there's a junior high dance going up. Would we have, if, if a National Geographic film crew, the kind that go and follow a pack of lions for six months, had we followed you for a semester in junior high school, might we have placed a big futures bet on you in Vegas and said, you know, he, he's an awkward junior high because that's redundant. Everybody's an awkward junior higher, but bet on this guy. Would we have bet on you? And if we would have, who were you in seventh or eighth grade that we'd say, you know, it was all there. The packaging wasn't quite right, but it was all there. Um, or would we have, or we have taken a pass? <laughs> I don't know if I would have bet on me. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it, it, it feels hard to say. Like, absolutely, I totally bet on myself. I was perfect. No, um, I, I think here's how I'll answer that, John. I think things that were things that have helped me become the leader that I am, lead the organization that I do, and build a culture that we've you know we've built here. I think are, are, are twofold, and I had those in, in, in junior high. Those are things that have been consistent yep. with me. It's, 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 it's been in my DNA. Um, you just had a seventh grade version. Yeah. Yeah. And relationships are critically important to me, probably way too important when I was in seventh grade, some of them especially. Right. But relationships are critically important to me. Um, and you know, I was smart, right? I was, I was a good student. School came easy to me. I could put things together. I find patterns really easily. That's just one of my superpowers. Um, plenty of things I'm bad at. That's not one. Um, and um, 
you know, so I think those two things have really aided me. Um, I'm a great student, right? And relationships matter. And I've really, that's the hand I was dealt. And I've played, I've played that hand to the best of my ability to be able to put me and, you know, 52 other people, you know, where we are today right now. Um, I was definitely more arrogant when I was in seventh grade for no reason. I, I didn't, I shouldn't have been, but I was. Um, I was arrogant right. and selfish. And I think the thing that I, sure. where I'm, I've evolved since then is um, I've, I've needed to develop a great deal of empathy um, and become a better listener. And I think that has been the game changer in my leadership journey um, is continuing to have my strengths, but to be able to really focus in those two areas on you know something to really try to round out you know, who I am as a leader and how I can show up to people. I love it. And I did not have that in seventh grade for sure. Yeah, well, you shouldn't have. I mean, yeah, that's that's uh, <laughs> that's yeah. You, you see, seventh grade, you're not supposed to have all that figured out. So uh, yeah, that's that's funny. Some of the people, some of the people tell us who they were in seventh and eighth grade, and it's it's uh, it's either oh god, you would have never bet on me, uh, or yeah. maybe, uh, but not so many would people say, God, would I have bet on me? I'm not so. Your answer is very, very similar, but the story behind it is pretty, is pretty cool. Yeah, I, I was a nerd, before, and right at the time that nerds, it started to become cool to be a nerd. Like, but you were, you were a trendsetter. You were early. Well, no, 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 no. The, the Bill Gates and like his like made nerds cool. So it's just like, oh, I don't have to just be a nerd. I could be a little bit cool and be a nerd, and I was definitely right. the nerd. So yeah, that's funny. That's funny. That's yeah. great. Well, Bill. Thanks so much for being on Genius at Scale for our Thanks for having me, John. Oh yeah. For our um for our regular listeners, uh thank you for for tuning in and we look forward to seeing you on our next episode of Genius at Scale. All the best. Thanks for joining us today. Are you ready to scale? If so, invest three minutes in our scalability index. It's simple, easy, and gives specific guidance. Find it at evokinggenius.com slash scale. All the best.